We're going to dig in this morning to part five of Teach Us to Pray. And last Sunday, if you will recall, uh, we, we explored the passage, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. How many remember that sermon last week? All right. So we, we learned about the twofold act of repentance, uh, the twofold act of forgiveness, rather, which is number one, repentance. Father, forgive me for what I've done. And number two, release. Father, I forgive those who have done wrong to me. And, um, and then at the, at the end, I asked you to fill out a card with those two commitments. What do I need forgiveness for and who do I need to forgive? Um, let me just show you. Some of you have already watched this because I emailed it to you like I promised I would. But um, let me just quickly show you this short video about uh, what it looks like when we receive and give forgiveness. Let's see this video. Hey, family. Pastor Brand here. Last Sunday, I preached on the line, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And we learned that Jesus was teaching us that the way to get out of spiritual debt is twofold. Number one, repentance. And number two, release. Asking God for forgiveness for the things that you've done and then releasing others for the things that they've done, forgiving them. And I asked you to write down on a connection card what you need to be forgiven for and who or what you need to forgive. And I asked you to do that anonymously and you did. I mean, we have hundreds of connection cards here with very, very sincere, deep requests for forgiveness and very deep expressions of forgiveness that you are extending to others. Now, what I told you I'd do this week is that we would take these cards and we would burn them. And this would be our symbolic release of all of the stuff that we've held on to and all of the stuff that we have not sought forgiveness for, this would be our symbolic release of all of that. So today, right now, I'm going to take your your request for forgiveness and your acts of forgiveness, and we're going to release them to God. And as these cards go up in smoke, my prayer for each and every one of you is that you would experience the freedom that comes from being forgiven by God and the freedom that comes from forgiving others for the wrongs that they have done to you. We said that unforgiveness is like spiritual hoarding. Right now, we're getting rid of all of the bitterness, all of the anger, all of the shame, all of the fear, all of the anxiety, all of the pain of the harms that were done to us and the harm that we caused to others and to God's heart. We're sending them to heaven and letting God's justice reign supreme. We're letting God's wrath and God's justice take care of the wrongs that were done to us. And we're letting God's mercy, God's grace, and the blood of Jesus forgive us for the wrongs that we have done. So my prayer for you this week is that you will experience that freedom in full effect. That you will just experience the freedom that comes through forgiveness. I can't wait to see you this Sunday as we explore the next line. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See you Sunday. Yeah, they burned all the way up, everybody. They burned all the way up. Man, I just want to thank you for 
um, for your sincerity and your vulnerability. Um, you know, we, we submitted those cards anonymously, but you guys put it out there. You put the real stuff out there. Um, and I just want to thank you for that. And I want you to know that whatever you put out there, um, you are not alone. Uh, whatever, whatever sin that you've been carrying, whatever burden that you've been carrying, God can forgive that. Uh, and he's forgiving that in your life and he's forgiving that in the lives uh, of those around you. Um, and all of you who, who made statements about things that you needed to forgive. I mean, there was deep stuff uh, released. I, I, have, I have a massive list. I'm not going to go through it. But there was a lot released, okay? Very, very serious items and very, very ser serious matters. And I just want you to know that you are not alone. This is a place of mercy and grace. God loves you. God forgives you. And God frees you today. So let's just experience his freedom and his grace and his mercy through forgiveness. Amen. So uh, the, the prayer that Jesus prays, he, he teaches that line, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But how many of you know, uh, sometimes after you are forgiven, you still find yourself tempted to do some of the things that you had already received forgiveness for? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You got forgiveness for it, and then suddenly it lured you back. And so today we're looking at the next line in Jesus's prayer, which says this, lead us not into temptation. We just got out. Uh, we just got forgiven. Please lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me ask you this, and if I don't get every hand raised, it's just not going to be right. All right? How many of you have ever been tempted to do anything wrong? All right? All right. If, 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 you, if that's not you, you are in the wrong place because we don't believe you. We don't trust you. And if it's true, we don't like you, okay? Because that ain't us. Um, we have all been tempted. We have all been tempted from time to time, um, even at our dream team party this last uh, Thursday night. Man, they, it, was a, I, it was a dream team dessert. Um, and so I, I, I planned in advance to say, you know, I'm going to really limit my dessert intake at the dream team dessert. But then Jennifer Williams showed up with these apple crostatas, which I've never even heard of before. Never even heard that word before. Um, but it's like little miniature apple pies all together in a little crunchy, yummy pastry. And so I walked by it, and, I, and my eye caught it. <laughs> and then I tried to, but, right? And uh, so you know what I did? I said, you know what, let me just come over. I'm just going to cut one in half. And so, and so I cut one in half, and Jennifer Williams was serving, and she said, you know you're going to eat the other half of that. I said, no, I'm just going to eat half. And I ate my little half with my little ice cream. Amen. And then I went back and got the other half. It was so good. So good. <laughs> Temptation is hard to avoid. I'm going to show you one more really quick video just to, just, to, just to get this in your mind, what temptation looks like. Maybe you can... Maybe you can uh, r uh, recognize this. Look at me. You can have fruit snacks, but you can't have them right now, okay? You gotta wait. You gotta wait until mommy and daddy come back, okay? You can't eat these yet. You gotta wait until we come back. I'm gonna leave them right here. Don't touch them. Wait, okay? We're gonna come back. Don't eat them yet. Don't eat them. We'll be right back. We just gotta go get something. Just, 
Oh, you know that's you. You know that's you. <laughs> oh, I could watch that 20 times because there's so much going on. Like, the little guy on the right is like, and he's like, yeah. And then he does it, and they're like, yeah, woo! <laughs> so today, what I want to teach for the next few moments is on the subject, lead us not into temptation, we can find it on our own. Come on, somebody. We can find it on our own. Um, l- let, let me just give you, kind of preface this with, with what I'm calling temptation, right? This is my definition that I'm working with today. Uh, the definition that I'm, I'm working with is this. Temptation is the desire for a short-term pleasure over long-term objectives, right? Uh, temptation is when you have a long-term objective, you want to accomplish something, but there's a short-term pleasure and the desire to engage in that short-term pleasure to the detriment of the long-term goal or objective is what we are calling temptation. And when you look through the scripture, there are many instances where people were tempted by this or that, but there are two major instances, uh, one at the very, very beginning of the Bible, a very iconic Uh, image of temptation. I'm just going to read it. I'm going to go through it quickly. We won't spend a lot of time on it, but just to kind of ground you in in how the scripture describes our our core nature when it comes to temptation. It's found in Genesis chapter 3. It says this, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He, He said to the woman, this is in the garden of Eden, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? How many of you know a lot of times temptation begins with that question? But is it really wrong? Like, did God really say you can't do that? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. We don't have time to get into that, but God actually did not say uh, that you uh, can't touch it. She had added some religiosity around, um, around God's command. You will not certainly die, the serpent said. To the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You know, temptation always is always selfish, right? Temptation always touches something that is very self uh, self centered, self focused. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good and and uh, for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is such a powerful and deep story. We could literally spend months just exploring all of the nuances of this particular passage in the Bible. But a couple things that just point uh, that jump out uh, immediately. One is that is describing our, susceptib- our susceptibility to temptation, right? Human beings, at the very beginning of the Bible, as it's describing what we're like, uh, the Bible is describing that human beings are susceptible to short-term pleasure over long-term objectives, right? The long-term objective is communion with God and friendship with God, and eternal life, and living in peaceable harmony with God and other creatures. But then a temptation comes along that says you can have this immediate pleasure, right, but it's to the detriment of the long-term relationship that you desire. So that's one thing it, it teaches us. It teaches us that we're susceptible to temptation, all of us, right? 
But it also teaches us that when we engage in the temptation or the sin, if we actually cross over and, and accept the temptation, then we are filled with shame. And we are filled, this is one of the very first, in fact, it might, it might be the first emotion mentioned in the Bible, the, 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 the emotion of shame, right? Doing something that you know is wrong, that contravenes God's laws. And, it, and notice what they did. They immediately sewed lit fig leaves together and they covered themselves. Like they didn't realize that they were naked before. There, that wasn't a concept for them. It wasn't an idea for them. But after they sinned, they, they became ashamed. They, be, they, be, they, they began to understand their, their own vulnerability, their own weakness, their own susceptibility, their own, um, their own inability to do what God had called them to do. And so they covered themselves. And this is what happens to us when we, when we sin. We, we are tempted. And the scripture says that, uh, you know, temptation then leads to sin and then sin leads to death. And we become full of shame and we, we hide and we cover ourselves. The great writer Oscar Wilde put it like this. He said, I can resist anything but temptation, right? It's, it's that, that reality that, that you're trying to do right. You want to do the right thing, but this, 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 this temptation comes along and it just attracts you and draws you. The Apostle Paul wrote about it in um, the book of Romans, and I love how candid he is. In this passage, and I've read this before, but I'll read it quickly. He says, I don't understand what I do. Can somebody relate just to that line? Like, I don't understand why I did that. Why did I do that? That was dumb. I should not have done that. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Right? I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do. This is what I keep on doing. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. I'm reading the Bible and evil is right there with me. What a wretched man I am. Who will, somebody say rescue. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Apostle Paul is saying, hey, the, the, the struggle is real. The temptation is real, right? From the beginning of humanity, through all humanity, and even unto this day, everybody who's seeking to follow Jesus will be faced with temptation, and they'll have, they'll have the choice. Do I resist? Do I abstain? Or do I engage in the temptation? The Apostle Paul says, man, I need help. I need deliverance. I need some divine assistance to get through this Temptation. Now, a lot of people have been um, talking to me, emailing, texting about this series. And one of the lines, th this line that we're studying today, is one of the lines that they're most interested in. And the question that they ask is, why would I pray, lead me not into temptation? Lead us not into temptation. Why would we pray that? Is God susceptible to leading us into temptation? Or are we needing to ask God, God, please don't draw me into sin, Right. Um, and because that's kind of how the phrase sounds, lead, lead us not into temptation, makes it seem like God was about to lead us into temptation. And we're going, no, 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 please don't do that, right? But, but this is what the Apostle Paul says about whether or not God leads us uh, into, into temptation and into sin. Um, uh, the scripture says this, and I think this is in James. Um, yeah, James chapter 1. When tempted, when you and I are tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person, here's where your temptation lies. I'll give you the, I'll unlock the secret. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by what? Their 
own evil desire and enticed. It's your own heart that is dragging you into temptation. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So we, we learn from the scripture itself that we're, it's not that God is dragging us into temptation and our prayer is like, please don't do that, right? That's not what this prayer is about. This prayer is not necessarily as much about leadership as it is about followership. We are asking God to lead us. Let me take you back into the verse, verse 13, and let's focus on a couple phrases. It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You need to read the whole sentence as one thing. Lead us not, but deliver us. So the the second clause, deliver us, describes or modifies the first clause, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us means that we've already found trouble. You don't ask to be delivered from something that you don't need delivered from. You understand? So when we're praying, deliver us from evil, that means we've already found it. We've already discovered it. We're already ensnared by it. We've already been trapped by it. And now we're saying, God, lead us not here, but lead us out of here. Lead us, another way to think of it is, God, lead us away from temptation because I found it all by myself, right? Lead us away from temptation and deliver us from the evil that we have stepped into as a result of of succumbing to temptation and take us away from here, right? Here's a note if you're writing notes. Write this. God doesn't have a leading problem. We have a following problem, right? So when I say, God, lead me, I don't have to command God. He knows what he's doing, right? But when I say lead me, what I'm really saying is help me follow you, right? If I, if I were to say to, to uh, uh, my fitness trainer, um, can you, can you I, I need you to lead me into 20 pounds lighter, right? And he said, okay, I can do that. You got to lay off on the hot Cheetos and the, uh, and the Emos pizza and the apple crostatas, and you need some, you know, some lean and green, Okay. So if he was, if I asked him to lead me, right, but then he was trying to lead me and I wasn't following him, it's not his leadership problem, it's my followership problem. Is anybody with me this morning? So when we say lead me, what we're really, it's a, it's a prayer of humility is what it is. It's us saying, you know what, I know who I am. I know where I'm likely to lead myself. I know how weak I can be. I know how vulnerable I can be. I know how shallow my spirituality can be. I know how easy I can get off track. I know how easily distracted. So God, I need you to lead me. Just drag me. Just pull me. Just take me. Give me your strength and lead me not into temptation. I found it on my own. Deliver me from evil. That's what the prayer is all about. It's a prayer of humility. So the question then becomes, how do we actually follow him out of temptation? How do we follow him out of uh, evil that has, in, that has captured us? How do we do that? So what I want to do just for the next few moments is I want to give you, and I, I, I haven't done this for a long time, but I want to get real practical and give you some real practical principles about how to follow Jesus out of temptation. How many of you want some help avoiding temptation? Anybody need some help with that? Okay. So here's what I want, I want to do. I'm going to give you five principles that are baked in the scripture that help us to follow Jesus out of temptation. So if you want to take notes, you can write this down. The first one is what I call acute self-awareness. Acute self-awareness. 
You know, the, the, the thing that is most likely to trip you up about you is the thing that you don't know about yourself. Come on, somebody. You are most vulnerable to the temptation that you've never anticipated. You are most vulnerable to the temptation that you didn't see coming. At least the first time, right? After that, you can kind of see it coming. But, but what we need to do is we need to take deep account of who we are, acute self-awareness. And I'm just, if you'll indulge me, I, just, I try not to do this often, but I just need to use a mixed martial arts illustration. Is that okay this morning? Just, yeah, okay, so three people are going to track with me on this. There was, a, there was a mixed martial arts fight about two weeks ago. Um, uh, the champion, a guy named Kamaru Usman, was fighting a guy named Leon Edwards. And these guys are brilliant mixed martial artists. I mean, the best. Uh, Usman had, Usman the champion had defended his title five times. He had 15 consecutive wins. He had never been defeated in the UFC. He was just, there was no anticipation that Leon Edwards would beat him. Uh, and they were getting ready to fight for the championship. And uh, they get into the ring and things are going exactly as anticipated. Usman is absolutely dominating Leon Edwards. Just every round, round after round after round. It's a five-round fight. I'm, I'm watching the fight, and I'm just, I'm, I'm about to turn the fight off because it's just that, it's just that lopsided, right? It's the fifth round. There's like 30 seconds left in the fight. The commentators in the fight are like, well, if he just hangs on to the end, I guess, you know, that would be a moral victory for him. And I felt the same way. I said, this guy is toast, right? And then suddenly, out of nowhere, Leon Edwards throws a left jab and then a left roundhouse kick and catches uh, Kamaru Usman, and Usman goes down. There he is. That's Usman going down. That's Leon Edwards winning the fight. Now, right afterwards, everybody said, you know what? That was just a lucky kick, right? It was just lucky because he had been getting beat the whole fight, and he just, you know, threw this lucky kick, and he got the guy and knocked him out, right? But a few days after the fight, and you can take that image down so we're not watching the guys fight on uh, it. A few days after the fight, some footage came out. And the footage showed Leon Edwards' coach saying to Leon Edwards, hey, I found a weakness in Kamaru Usman. He said, Kamaru Usman, when you throw a left jab, Kamaru Usman ducks to the right. So if you throw a left jab and then a left kick, he might just duck right into your kick. And you see Leon Edwards drilling that move over and over and over again before the fight. So when it was 30 seconds left in the fight and there was no other chance of winning, Leon Edwards said, well, let me see if I can exploit his weakness. And he threw a left jab and uh, Usman ducked right. He threw the kick, knocked him out. The difference between Usman and Edwards in this fight is that Edwards was aware of Usman's weakness. Usman was not aware of his own weakness, right? That's why he got knocked out. So the reality, the spiritual reality is this. We need to have acute self-awareness of our likelihoods and our weakness, our likelihood to be tempted, our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities. We need to have precise, true, accurate perceptible self-perception about where I am likely to be tempted so that I can train for that, so that I can prepare for that, so that I can avoid getting hit with a left kick, a left heel kick, and getting knocked out 
on, uh, on, on the floor. Here's how, here's how the, the scripture puts it. Jesus actually said it like this. He said, uh, sorry, this is in First Peter. Be alert. Be alert. That means be vigilant. Be aware. And sober-minded. This means have good, clear reflection about your own self. Be alert and be sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour. Let me just encourage you today. This is point one. I'm not going to do all the points this long. Point one, though, is this. Just you need acute self-awareness. Take time to take stock of what your weaknesses and your vulnerabilities are. If you want to avoid temptation, you need to know yourself. You need to know your weakness. Do not over-exaggerate how good your heart is. Don't say to yourself, well, I'm a good person. No, your heart is wicked and evil just like mine, right? Our hearts are susceptible to temptation. We need to know where our weaknesses are so we can avoid them. Amen, somebody? All right. Number two is similar, but a little further. We're calling it spiritual preparedness. Spiritual preparedness. Uh, On January 15, 2009, some of you will know this story. U.S. Airways Flight 1549 took off from LaGuardia Airport. A flock of geese flew in front of the airplane, and these 10-pound geese went into the, the engines of the airplane, shut down both engines about 100 seconds after it took off, and suddenly you've got an airplane in the air that cannot fly. There's no, no power. And so within moments, the pilot looked at everything and tried to figure out what to do. He couldn't get back to LaGuardia. It was too far away, couldn't get to New Jersey. And some of you remember the news story. He landed that plane on the Hudson River. Right there, right there in New York, right on the Hudson River. And the media was quick to say, man, this is a miracle on the Hudson, right? It's a miracle that this happened. And it felt like a miracle because it's just so crazy. There were 155 people on the plane. Nobody died. 155 souls walked off that airplane, walked out onto the wings, got picked up by, a, by boats and headed off. It was just amazing. And we think of it as a miracle, but when you start to understand the background of the pilot, you start to see that there was a little more complexity there. Right? Because the pilot, in this case, his name was Soli. Everybody calls him Soli. He had over 40 years of flying experience. He got his pilot's license at 14 years of age. He had been a flight instructor, a safety specialist, and probably most importantly, he was a certified glider pilot. A glider pilot. You, a glider is an, is an unpowered airplane. And you, he had hundreds, if not thousands, of hours of flying airplanes that had no power. And landing them in awkward places, right? And landing them without power. So when the, when the power went out on this airplane, Soli says, I've done this before. I've been here before. Now, I've never landed on a river, but I've landed on some fields and I've landed without motors and we're going to do this. And so what happened is he was prepared for an event that he didn't expect, You don't have to expect the event to happen, but you should be prepared for it. Spiritually, you and I need to spend time in spiritual preparation so that when we go out into the world where things can happen, we are spiritually prepared for whatever happens. He didn't wake up that morning thinking a flock of geese were going to fly into the plane, but he was prepared for a flock of geese flying into the plane. Here's how how, uh, he put it when he described Uh, his own experience. He said this. He said, one way of looking at this might be that for 42 years, I've been making small 
regular deposits in this bank of experience, education, and training. And on January 15th, the balance was sufficient so that I could make a very large withdrawal. You are going to face things that you don't even know you're going to face. You are not expecting some of the stuff that's coming down the pipe. You're not, you're not, you're not expecting it, but you can be prepared for it. When we spend time strengthening our spirit, right? When we spend time in prayer, when we spend time in scripture, when we spend time saying, God, I'm going to lean into you. I'm going to develop my spiritual man because my flesh is weak. Then I, when I walk out into the world and the, the fiery darts of the enemy come, I'm prepared. Here's how Jesus said, he said it very succinctly in Matthew 26. He said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Don't spend all your time in the flesh. Spend some time in the spirit. Spend some time in the, uh, in, in, in the spiritual development tank. Spend some time developing your spirit so that when you walk into the world, you are prepared. I'm not, I don't have time to do uh, the full armor of God, but if you go to Ephesians, the apostle Paul talks about all of that. He says, put on that full armor of God. Be prepared for the fiery darts of the enemy. The, the big thing that we've been promoting throughout this series is every person praying every day. To come into church on Sundays is not sufficient preparation for the, for the fiery darts that you are going to experience throughout the week. It's not sufficient, right? It's like a weekend, you know, plane ride. It's not going to be enough when the, when the geese hit the engine. All right, here we go. Number three, I like to call this one situational selection. This is how we, how we avoid temptation. Situational selection. How many of you know it's hard to do the right thing when you're in the wrong place? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's just, it's easier to do the right thing when the wrong thing is not nearby. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you're, if you're trying to decrease the amount of alcohol you consume, Mardi Gras is probably not the place for you. <laughs> right? If you're trying to cut back on your caloric intake... Uh, the buffet at the Golden Corral might not be the right environment. Situational selection, meaning I need to select the situations into which I enter because there might be stuff there that would be tempting to me. And if I, if I don't go in there, I'm less likely to be tempted. It's actually easier to avoid temptation than it is to resist temptation. If you avoid the environment in which the temptation is likely to occur, it's much easier than putting yourself in the environment and then trying to resist the temptation that is right in front of you. I asked my, I, I'm talking a lot about food this, this Sunday, but, but, I, but it's something we all relate to. Um, I was telling my wife, I said, you know, I want to eat more mixed greens. I want to eat more fresh, you know, vegetables and that kind of thing. I, I really want to increase that and just be a little bit healthier. That's what I want to do. Um, but... Um, you know, but, but, but I'm not doing that. So I, I need to figure out how to do that better, right? So she did something ingenious. You know that little drawer at the bottom of your refrigerator? I think they call it a crisper, but it's really where vegetables go to die. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Where like spinach goes to wilt, you know what I mean? That, that drawer, it says crisper, but it's really wiltier. It's just the, right? Every week or two you open that and you go, oh, darn, all of our mixed greens are gone, you know? Um, not because we ate them, but because they're limp at the bottom of the drawer. So, so you know what she did? She said, let me take all of these fresh greens out of here. And then let me take all the condiments out of the door of the refrigerator. And I'm going to put the condiments down in the crisper. And I'm going to put the fresh greens in the door of the refrigerator. <laughs> That's a good wife. I, 
I, this, we did this, what, a month ago? I'm telling you, every time I open the refrigerator, instead of seeing mustard, ketchup, mayonnaise, and barbecue sauce, I'm like mixed greens, spinach, romaine, and, you know, carrots. And I'm telling you, I'm eating a lot more greens because the situation has been selectively administered so that I'm more aware of the good stuff and less aware of the bad stuff, right? That's a long way just to say, but it's true. Situational selection. Don't, here, here, let me give you the scripture. Uh, Romans 13 says this, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In other words, don't put yourself in a situation where the gratification of your fleshly desires can be provided for, right? Step away from those and select the right spot. Is this helpful to anybody this morning? Okay, we're going we're gonna to wrap it up quick. Number four is what I call authentic community. We're launching life groups next week, and I just, this is why I want you to join a life group. You cannot walk out the spiritual life on your own. Nobody can. Nobody can. Nobody can. You cannot. I cannot. Nobody can. Right? I have like three people right now, three guys on speed dial who they know if they get a text from me saying, I need to talk, they know I need to talk. They're going to hit me back right now because they know that I'm reaching out because I'm facing something that I need some brotherhood around. I need some brothers, some Christian brothers to come around and go, okay, let's talk about this, right? And it's, and it's reciprocal. So if I get a text from any of those three guys that says, I need to talk, I'm going to stop whatever I'm doing. I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to call them because I know they're facing something that they, they can't really face on their own. And they need somebody to encourage them and help walk them through that. The reality is this. We are not made to be alone. We are, it is not good for us to be alone. We are... We need to be in Christian community. We are a body. And whenever we try to isolate ourselves and walk out our life by ourselves, we will face temptations that we cannot face on our own. And we need authentic community for a, to, to come around us, to strengthen us, to support us, to pick us up when we failed and help us walk down the path. So I just want to encourage you, get in spiritual community. Here's how the scripture puts it. James says this, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. Healed means you don't keep going back and doing it again. Healed means your soul gets healed up. It might take a while, but healed means, you know what, I'm able to overcome that. And it comes through two means, confession and prayer. Right? I'm struggling with this. Can you help me with this? Yeah, let's pray, brother. Let's talk. Right? So authentic community is vital for avoiding temptation. The question I want you to ask yourself is, who is your crew? Who is your crew? Who's on your speed dial? Who can you call and say, I need your help? Because if you don't have somebody, you got to get somebody, preferably more than one. Okay, here's the last one. I'm going to close with this. The last principle is this, what I call divine reliance. And this is ultimately the, this is at the bottom of, this is at the base of all of it. This is a, this is the supporting structure for everything. I said at the beginning of the sermon that there were these two iconic moments of temptation. The one at the beginning when Adam and Eve were in the garden and then the other at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the beginning of the New Testament when the scripture says that uh, Jesus was taken out into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now what's interesting about that, that is the only time in the scripture that we see God leading someone into, an, into temptation. The scripture actually says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. 
And the question is, why would God, why would the Spirit lead the Son in the desert to be tempted? And the reality is this. God knows you, and God knows me. And God knows we couldn't do it. We couldn't resist temptation. But God knows that he had to send his son who could resist temptation to stand in our place. And what happens when Jesus is led into the spirit is that he reverses the curse that happened in the garden. See, Adam and Eve are in the garden, right? Jesus goes into a desert. Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Jesus fasted for 40 days, right? They were both tempted, one by the serpent and one by the devil, same person. But one listened to the serpent, and the other resisted and quoted the scripture back, right? Listen to this. One was tempted by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Jesus turned the tree into a cross and said, I'm going to sacrifice myself so that when you fail and when you stumble and when you fall to temptation... I am there spreading my arms to forgive you and say, let's get back up, let's resist the devil, and let's keep on marching on. God sent his son to resist temptation. The scripture says he was tempted in every respect like you, meaning whatever temptation you've experienced, he's experienced, and yet he resisted. So we can follow him not only by, by his model, but we can follow him in his sacrifice and receive his forgiveness. When the apostle Paul, and I'm gonna close with this, when the Apostle Paul, who was so candid about this struggle that, that he experienced, he talks about it again in, in 2 Corinthians, and this is what he writes, and I just love how he ends this. He said, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a, a flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, he said, is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power, not his power, not his willpower, but that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, I delight in insults, I delight in hardships, I delight in persecutions, I delight in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. What he's saying is, here's how you avoid temptation. God, I can't do it. I'm too weak. And I need you, your sinless son, to enter into my heart and transform me from the inside out and to guide me and lead me. This is why Jesus says to you and he says to me, I want you to pray. And I don't want you to feel like you need to tell God what God needs to do. I want you to recognize that your prayer is a confession of your own weakness. Your prayer is a confession of your own humility and your own vulnerability. He said, I want you to follow God out of the hand of the enemy, out of temptation. And I want you to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, deliver us from evil. As we close today, I, I want... I want to invite you to pray that prayer. There's not a single person in this place, and I'm convinced by that because I read 5,000 connection cards last week. There is not a single person in this place that does not struggle with some kind of temptation or another. And can I tell you, this is why I'm so thankful for you as a church. Because 
you were so vulnerable and candid on those cards. There was no sin not mentioned on those cards. There were sins I hadn't even heard of mentioned on those cards. It was amazing that you all said, look, I need to give this to God. And you know what? I also need to release some of the stuff that's been done to me. And you listed all of that stuff too. And I just want you to know that when you do that, your weakness is the door of access for God's power to enter into your heart. And so today, I want us, as we close, I just want us to open our hearts and I want us to pray. If you are a, if you're a, a person who is not a person of faith and you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus, and I don't, I don't, I don't expect that everybody here is. My hope is that not everybody here is, that there are a, a number of you that are here that are just going, let me think about this, right? I want to invite you to become a follower of Jesus because you know and I know that you can't overcome and override the temptation that you're experiencing on your own because you've already tried. In fact, that's probably why you're here because you keep trying and it's not working and you keep trying different techniques and it's not working. And at some point you need to go, man, I need God. I need God. I just need to humble myself and recognize that I am in need of a savior and a deliverer. I want to invite you to pray with me as I pray. And and those of you who are believers, you have been forgiven and you have forgiven others. And yet you see temptation right out on the horizon. You're trying to do good. And like Paul, the evil is right there. I want to invite you to invite God to give you the power to overcome temptation, to follow him out of temptation and into deliverance. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. Your word is so rich and, and, and spiritually nourishing. It is so powerful. It cuts so deep. But it, it heals us and it cleanses us and it fills us with power. And I just thank you for every person here who doesn't believe in you. And I pray that they would open their hearts and receive you. I pray that you would draw them right now by the power of your spirit. That they would come and be a follower of you and be baptized in the water of forgiveness and receive your spirit. I just pray for them right now. And I pray, Lord God, for those of us who are believers, but who still from time to time walk in the flesh, not in the spirit. And we need to get back to walking deeply in the spirit, being aware of our own weaknesses and being prepared spiritually and avoiding those spaces that don't bring glory to you and opening our hearts to community and opening our souls to your divine power. I just pray for each and every one of us, Lord God, that we would follow you today and that indeed you would lead us out of temptation and deliver us from evil. We love you. We honor you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen.